0: Hello, welcome to Personal Stories of St. James's. This is our ongoing interview series where we talk to members of St. James's to learn a little more about them and to grow on our own faith by hearing their stories. This week, uh, I have the privilege of interviewing longtime St. James' leader and member Eric Maynard. Eric, I'm going to launch right in with the following question. Can you tell me about someone you'll always remember?
1: Well, it came down to about three or four persons (laughs) instead of one. The very first was a teacher in Barbados by the name of Mrs. St. John. Uh, She was American, and she took time to teach me Um, how to read expressively so she was the very first and she taught me to read pretty much as I speak because
0: Would you say that this was the foundation for from which, you know, you have a you have a reading ministry at St. James as well as other ways you lead in worship? Would you say the way you read uh, in church goes back to those Um yeah, it goes back to <laughs> Mrs. St. John. Mrs. St. John? I was going to say, someone, someone else you were uh, remembering? Um.
1: but it actually earned him a job with the uh, public works department.
0: What, what does it mean to you that your grandfather was a, a Renaissance man and a bit of a, uh, maybe a rebel, uh, you, you know, doing maybe the right thing, but without permission?
1: things for people um, because our house was always filled with guests my grandparents house I should say it
0: mm-hmm. uh, was always filled with guests and it was more like a scene
1: out of the godfather <laughs> minus, the, minus the horse's head in the bathroom.
0: <laughs> um, I'm glad we do not have okay. that
1: These folders and whatever, and he would listen to people, and as soon as they explained their problem, he would take the letter and he'd make notes and whatever, and he'd put each one in a coloured folder in a coloured uh, folder. And I had uh, family members then who worked in government at the time, uh, one of them being my aunt, and so. Whenever someone had a problem and so forth, they would come to him. And then he would contact the particular department and so forth and get the situation taken care mm. of for him. Um, one of the other things that I remembered too was, um, one one of the things that he did for this gentleman named Mr. Ashby, who owned a millinery and he made hats in the island. Um, when the business was opening up, what my grandfather used to do after work was go over and he would actually start soldering and setting up all this machinery in the millinery to make these hats and. Um, Mr. Ashby was very grateful for him to do that. Hmm. And one day, as always happens in business, there was this um, big bombastic businessman from Florida who flew down in his little private jet plane and whatever, and he was going to buy up Mr. Ashby's business. And my grandfather told him, and gave him a piece of advice that I always remember to this day. He told Mr. Ashby, never, ever give away the secret of what makes you great to anyone. Hmm. Not your wife, not your kids, not your best friend. Never give up what makes you special and unique. Hmm. So the thing was, this... millinery. Um, before he did that, like I said, my grandfather had told him to never could give away the secret. Um, Mr. Ashby had told him that there's this one special ingredient that keeps these hats very stiff and in shape. So when Mr. Ashby sold the business, he gave the man everything Lying on the porch and I was always curious about that for a few years until one morning I woke up early and I saw this gentleman and it was this Mr. Ashby and he told me this story then of what my grandfather did for him and the advice that my grandfather had given him so Mm. every single year at Christmas. would always be this bottle of wine on the porch. Mm. Um, Like I said too, um, with all of the help that he gave people and whatever, I would always see um, different members of government and business and whatever within our family living room. And it kind of amazed me because when you're a kid, you don't really think about
0: So How do you
1: you're right, but what you got used to just being around and talking people
0: and so forth. How do you think you're like your grandfather? sense that you were
1: um with my grandfather then uh he was very well disciplined and meticulous and methodical and i think that i have a little bit of that free mm-hmm. within me you
0: hmm. can see that because
1: one thing that he would always do
0: What would be in those meals as you remember them?
1: He did not really go to church himself, but he was very religious. And he had a great collection of classical them every Sunday and um, he had this we had this neighbor across the street, uh, Mr. Clark. Um every Sunday then there would be a little bit of a competition between Mr. Clark and my grandfather because they would play their records and stuff at top volume. <laughs> each other out. <laughs> so that was basically our little bit of entertainment
0: on a Sunday <laughs>
1: we would sit around and listen to House Party on a Saturday morning and uh, radio programs like uh, The Clever World Kid. And then we would, in the afternoon, we absolutely had to shine our shoes and (laughs) get our shirts and pants ready for Sunday morning and then we would set off to church while my grandfather took care of the cooking, like I said. Mm-hmm. Then when we came home and whatever, uh, we would sit around and listen to more radio mm. programs on a Sunday and read the comics. And um, Since Barbados then um, is on the, the equator and had very clear air, we would sit in the, the veranda at
0: Hmm. <laughs> when and did then, you what yeah, I was gonna say what, when did you move to the States? Um that was around nineteen sixty six and I was about twelve years old. Twelve years old. So we came here um in October of
1: that year. And settled in Cambridge, in North Cambridge, just above where Saint James's church is now. street. Oops. so we came uh, we we So this would be, this
0: this was 1966.
1: years, and I absolutely hated
0: it. <laughs> Why?
1: <laughs> I was not meant to be a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> so I had too many Anglican traditions ingrained in me. Already, really yeah. enjoy that. So how?
0: So how, so tell me, how did you make it to St James's after having been turned away earlier?
1: He invited our family to St. James's, and that's where we mm. have come to it ever since. And it was tough breaking away then from the Baptist church because they were always holding on and sending us notes and whatever, are you ill? We have not seen you. Do you need someone to come by and whatever and pray for you because you're sick? And we told them, look, the simple answer is we found our church and we are not coming back to the Baptist church anymore. Remind me about what year
0: that was? I'm sorry? About what year was it when... when... Um, This
1: was two years later, so around 1968.
0: Oh, wow. So it was pretty quick turnaround from no, I have been at
1: St James's since that time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did, do you have a sense that people that the community of Saint James has changed a lot between nineteen sixty six and nineteen sixty eight? Or do you just think um, you spoke to the right people? Been some changes obviously. Um
1: because once I came there I was um Mm-hmm. Um that was right out of high school. And the first black person to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: So this and would have been the also, early 70s? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then also, to
1: uh, my younger sister, Deborah, was the first um, person then to be baptized there.
0: Hmm.
1: The first black person. Interesting. So there were some changes then.
0: Did you experience continue to experience some racism once you came to St. James's? Some of those people that...
1: Um, There is still a little bit of racism I still see within St. James's walls. Yeah, now. Because Mm -hmm. there are some members whose voice I have never heard in all these years that I've been there. And there are people then whose hand I have never shaken. mm (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, well, I know of it, but I'm I'm born in the 70s, so, no, so, I, God, I, so I only God, know it. I <laughs> had, had a habit then of whenever um, a perpetrator tried to
1: go a backdrop of him, he would do this little pivot and whatever and draw his gun, but I still see that little
0: bit of a pivot. You, so you experience the people... I have some members there at St. James,
1: Mm. Or
0: even heard the sound of their voice. their voice. So there is still that little still bit. Still lives on. Racism
1: going on at St. James's. I'm hoping, I'm praying that it will change at some point. But...
0: Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I'm trying, to, I wanna pursue this a little bit if you're comfortable with it. Um, what, um. So you, there's people that you believe turn away from you and, and don't want, don't speak to you and don't, um, aren't willing to shake your hand. Um, do you feel like the racism then is, from your perspective, um, that, do you see it more as a thing that's just in a few people or do you see it more as more? systemic. You know, what, part of why I asked that is, um, you know, I, I think particularly people like me who are white, we're trying to face our own racism. Um, and, uh, you know, while I, I certainly shake your hand and speak with you, um, you know, I'm also trying to be honest with myself about what are the ways that maybe some of the things that I do are either consciously or unconsciously racist? So I'm curious I haven't haven't seen anything like that with feel so well
1: well,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well thank you. And I guess um part of my question is I just wanna what do you see as if you were in charge of helping root out racism at St James's, this is a really hard question, but I'll ask it. Um what do you think we should be doing?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And Holly had gotten me to do that. And I served a while, and after a while, I just became frustrated because I saw that there was just so much
0: to do and a long way to go. Mm. This is the anti-racism task force?
1: But I I see
0: progress being made Mm -hmm. um,
1: under the leadership of Michelle Holmes. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: What for you would um. You you so you said that you have seen progress. Um. How what what does progress look like?
1: I see more people willing to engage Mm -hmm. and to learn. Mm.
0: Openness to to listen. And I think that we are approaching that end. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for letting me ask you those questions. Like, like we, uh, what what listeners don't know is I give li- I give questions in advance, and this was not one of them. So this is a bit of a curveball I've thrown you. <laughs> so thank you for letting me ask it. I mean, I think it's important these days for us to. Have these conversations. Um, one last question for you, because uh, because we're, we're coming up on an hour, and that's that's a good long conversation. Um, uh. So we, you know, I'm. As we record this, you know, we're still uh in the throes of the coronavirus pandemic, and we can't be together in the way we have been. Um, and also, of course, we're also at a time when we're thinking about racism in our country um, and trying to find ways to respond to it. Um, but so I'm curious for you, um, how does your faith uh, keep you going?
1: Well, I would like to Mm -hmm. Um, many times I rail at heaven
0: because
1: Mm. uh, last year then I had to stop working and whatever to take care of my mum as you know she has Alzheimer's dementia Mm -hmm. and my bosses and whatever were not very forgiving and understanding so there were many times then that we had a clash because I had worked My work then was as a concierge and I had worked at many of the Mm -hmm. and taking care of my mother is now a full-time job so we have with the coronavirus and everything. Uh, Caregivers coming in to take care of her
0: job my mother hmm.
1: others who have a strong faith and I wonder many times where it comes from because many times I don't find it with me myself and many times I could say okay God you can take your heaven and if I die I'll just float around the universe and whatever from star to star There, many times I wonder if God is listening, hmm. so and whether there really is a plan for each of us, or whether sometimes God is Himself is taken by surprise hmm. at things that happen. If humans are created by humans and so forth, but in the end, I still. Humans have everything down here all messed up right now. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the universe, somebody has got to have it all figured out and has some sense of order. So that is why. Thank nice. coming and going, and there was this one chaplain who was there, he was Catholic, and he, on the first day I was there, he walked in, and the instant that he found out that I was not Catholic, he no longer had a word to say to me. Mm-hmm. to, um a yellow daffodil and I was wondering what the symbol of that yellow daffodil was and it was
0: hope
1: mm. that yellow daffodil was hope and it was that no matter if I lost my faith or didn't have my faith Jesus was going to be there at my side to pull me through and I hung on to that so even now, in times when I am wondering how all of these caregivers are going to be paid and all of these bills, um, right now I am out of a job and also out of uh, unemployment.
0: The yellow daffodil. Yep. Well, thank you for that story. Um, you know, life. It'd be wonderful if life was always easy, but obviously it's not. Um, so you know, uh, what I what I appreciate about your what you just said is um, a couple things. You know, first of all, in, in that image of the yellow daffodil is powerful, um, and how people, other people like Steve Bonzi and Yvette uh, and Florence um, have given you some faith. You know, sometimes, we, sometimes I think we, um, when we don't have the faith in ourselves because life is hard and we just don't have it in that moment, sometimes we get it from each other. Yep. And I just, I also want to say that, I. you know, you sharing your story about the yellow daffodil, I'm sure someone who's having trouble with their faith in hearing this will get faith from you. So thank you.